Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Dea, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Dea Oat Cream Blend. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Achtung, Achtung, and season's greetings. Welcome to We Have Ways, 12 Days of Christmas Guests. We're talking to a famous face about their personal relationship with the Second World War. Today we've got TV and radio host Dermot O'Leary. Achtung, achtung, merrily on high. Welcome to uh, We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. And we're joined today for this episode, wherever it falls, because uh, those familiar with this podcast will know we probably haven't planned any of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no plan survives contact with this podcast, I think is a... Well, uh, I'm still, I'm still. every time you say acting, acting, Christmas one, I keep thinking acting, acting, hark the herald. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come all ye tongues. Okay, but who we who we joined who we joined by today, Jim? Well, it's 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 a super duper guest today. DJ, radio presenter, much loved TV host, um, documentary filmmaker, um, purveyor of very smooth moves on Instagram, uh, (laughs) and now I should say, soon to be published author of epic Second World War children's book. Um, it's Dermot O'Leary. Dermot, lovely to see you. There you go. How's it going, chaps? This is very, this is very exciting. I always do this whenever we go on a podcast. I just end up asking more questions than I'm answering, but I'm always fascinated by your take. Have you guys been watching um, Rogue Heroes? Yeah. And, and watch, oh, you and watch your, yeah, of course. What's been your take on it? Because I've only seen the first two episodes, just, just because I've been sort of out and about and I haven't really properly... I wanted to sit down and properly give it time as well. Well, I can't speak for Jim here, but I think after the first two episodes, it really it goes up... A, up a gear quite completely and also you like tuned oh, yeah, up a gear after the first 20 minutes to be honest yeah right okay all right okay uh, i think you're kind of tuned into it by the third one you know it's the sort of some people have called it khaki blinders and it's it has got that <laughs> it has got that vibe and what i think yeah. once you've once you've taken that on board um uh I, I loved it. I thought I, I actually it, it really grew on me. I mean, you're the same, aren't you, Jim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, historically, there's there's a whole host of problems, <laughs> but is it is it really good fun? And are people beetling around the desert in Second World War stuff and and firing lots of guns? Yes. Um, does that get a massive tick? As far as I'm concerned, absolutely. Um, <laughs> do I enjoy watching lots of um, jeeps and, uh, uh, and and Morrises and what have you? 
crossing the desert with Highway to Hell playing in the background. You betcha. Yeah. I, I guess this is a wider conversation, isn't it? As to what is to, and James, you speak about this a lot, which is how valuable the historical accuracy is uh, to, uh, to an adaptation and how, like, how much do you, how much, how important is that for you? Because you could go back to any, I remember I read an article about the film Zulu mm. and I think it was Hook's, Hook's niece, I think, walked out of the premiere yeah. because he was a teetotal Methodist. That's right, his family are completely his... outraged by his portrayal. Right, yeah. And similarly, I think Murdoch's family from, you know, how he was portrayed in Titanic were kind of... Well, or in really... the A-Team. I mean, Murdoch's family complaining about his portrayal in the A-Team. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't mad at all. <laughs> he was a really sensible guy. And the real Mr. T wasn't like that at all. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, well, I, I, I suppose... The, the bottom line is most people couldn't possibly care less. You know, it's a film uh, and and it's set in the past and it's either good or it isn't, or a TV series isn't either good yeah. or isn't. You know, they don't care that the sunglasses are wrong or there's too much effing and blinding and swearing and, and, and that, that Paddy Main wasn't like that. I mean, there was a, there's a piece in the paper today from Paddy Main's niece saying, you know, he was a really lovely guy and um, he was never in prison. And he never beat up red caps. Um, and and he just he wasn't sort of you know okay so he liked to drink occasionally but actually you know he was a much softer kind of kinder nicer person than than portrayed. Mm. Absolutely, that's the case. And and you know Jack O'Connell's not really like um, the real Paddy Main at all. Sure, but sort of frankly, who cares? I really enjoyed it. It's just a TV series, and I also think it gets people interested in the subject. You know, th- th- that's a series that's aimed at fifteen to thirty year olds and to be enjoyed by fifty pluses. And, and, well, and, and, and it's being watched by fifteen to thirty year olds in, in vast amounts, apparently. So it's so it's, so it's hit the bullseye in that respect. It yeah. On is yeah. all I can yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, I just yeah. think it's absolutely fantastic, and and the more the merrier. And I'm absolutely delighted to hear from Ben McIntyre that there's going to be certainly two series, and they're aiming for four. Oh, that's great. That's really, really good. Yeah, no, I, I think I pretty much agree with everything you said. I mean, I I think the one thing I haven't because I haven't seen the the whole series yet. I'm not qualified to, to to sort of make this statement, so I'm not. I'm just sort of more asking the question. When I read the book, there was, there was quite a lot of sad stories in the book about yeah. about anything from kind of grief to you know this yep. re- re- repressed feelings and homosexuality and you know or or, or, or otherwise or just you know the, the kind of deep personal relations. Does the, does the TV series go into that uh, later, sort of later on? Yeah, they certainly they're certainly wrestling with the. One of the dramatic threads of it is what does these guys really want to fight, but what does it actually do to them in the end? What's the actual cost? And for all their desire to 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 take it to the enemy, what's that doing to them? And 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 I think that very much is its dramatic material. I mean, there's a bit where there's a bit where Sterling describes Maine as sulking like Achilles in his tent. So that story of the brooding warrior is as old as is as old as storytelling. So sure. yeah, and, and that is absolutely how he's portrayed, isn't he? But but actually, yeah. Paddy Maine just wasn't like that at all. Yeah. He wasn't a brooding Achilles. No. He was he was the guy who's sort of driving the whole thing forward, really. Yeah. But you've got a um, drama and, to make here, you know. Like d- 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 Yeah, exactly. And I think the actors are brilliant. I think Stephen Knight's done a great job. It'd be great. If you guys had Stephen Knight on, you should get him on. Oh, we, we should yeah, get him well, on. We, we often imagine. He's, and, he, and he told us we couldn't he, he could make it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to try again. But anyway, we'll, we'll give it another go. We'll give it another go. We'll be <laughs> I agree, it would be interesting to to, to, to get him on. Um, but 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 Dermot, how are you? I mean, you know, you you oh, very I was good. Very lucky to read an early copy of of Linus the Swift, which is just fantastic. Thank you, mate. Thanks. Um, so sort of uh, working title at the moment. So so the backstory. I haven't sort of announced anything, but I, I've sort of. Oh, um, right. and not you heard I, it first here. That, well, I'm not that I'm really a, a particular announcer, but you know, you're, you're sort of 
you know, my publishers, even though I'm doing this, but my publishers are very just, you know, just, you know, wait and see and we'll, we'll announce it next year. So I'd, I'd sort of, I'm a bit more blabbermouth than that, but I've, um, uh, so I spent the best part of the year in my sort of, uh, sort of time I've had, uh, writing children's fiction about the second world war. Um, and, um, and hopefully I'd like to do more and try and, and it's, it's really interesting because, you know, the, the, the kids fiction I've written up to now, five books is about my cat and it's about my cat being a, essentially a, a member of an ancient order of international ninjas who are a, a kind of <laughs> place in Wisconsin with every world leader to make sure they don't do anything silly and stupid uh, through a mantra of purrs, paws and claws. And Larry the Tandang, <laughs> Larry the Tandang Street is the head of the UK branch of the International Ninjas. And, um, and my cat is his deputy. So that's kind of the, you know, and, I've, and it started as a kind of, isn't this a fun idea? And now I've done five books and I really, really enjoy doing them. And so for the last book in the deal, my publisher said, would you fancy doing something different? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. I'll, I'll um, I, you know, I'd love to write some wartime fiction for kids. Then is what's really interesting. And James, you've, you've been such a great help with, with the, with, uh, with some of the facts and, and the, and the chronology. And, and whatnot but what's interesting is you realize you have to start writing about things like loss and because you because you can only kind of sugarcoat it yeah it's middle grade fiction which is seven to ten but really it's kind of seven to eleven twelve uh, uh in my experience and um and you realize you can't not write about things like that because then you just completely sanitize the whole thing but at the same time you have to temper that so uh, yeah, so it's set in the Second World War and um, and it kind of a, around the Battle of Britain. And set in the summer, to beat all summers. Right, and the, and the what unbeknownst to us, the animals are kind of on our behalf, uh, and that's kind of that's as much as I can say about my publisher slapping my wrist. Not that there's any great, not that anyone's listening to this going, my God, this is going to change the way I live my life. It's just that I just feel like I'm doing my poor publisher a disservice by talking too much about it. But I guess that the nuts of it was, and I love doing it. And I felt I had enough knowledge about the subject to, to write from a glorious amateur's point of view. But, but that was the thing that kind of struck me was, hang on a minute, some of these characters aren't going to make it. And how do I write that? And how do I write that in a sensitive way? And how do I write that in a way that, um, that, that children are going to, uh, it's not going to be, not, not going to be traumatizing for them, but, but, you know, I can't kind of shy away from that because if you, if you, if you decide to write in the context of war, then you have to write you know, war with all, with all its warts, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got to say what I think it's, 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 it works. It just works. And the reason it works, I, and I know we can't talk about it too much, but um, uh, uh, come on again and talk about it probably at least. I really but Where, where it works really well is, is it's really charming. It, it's very touching. There's some really exciting bits in it. But also, it's sort of weirdly plausible. I mean, I know we're talking about sort of <laughs> birds and animals and birds particularly. But when you're doing a sort of fantasy children's book, you're, you're, you're suspending disbelief, aren't you? But even when you're suspending disbelief, you, you've still got to kind of believe that in a secret special world, it could work. And that's the point. It does fit, whereas in a, in a way that sort of some children's books just, just don't. And this well, does, I and can, I think that's, can, uh, that's lovely. Thank you, mate. I mean, I think you can never... What, you know, like I said, the first book, I just had an idea and it was just the fact it was about my cat, which lent itself to being a children's book. I didn't set out to write children's fiction. And I, I sort of think that's the best way to go about it in the sense of whenever, when I was growing up, the, t- the TV I wanted to watch wasn't TV that was aimed at children. It was TV that children watched that you thought was kind of a little bit naughty to watch. Do you yeah. know what I mean? 
uh, it's all the sort of the aspirational stuff. And I think the same thing can be said about Jordan's writing is that, you know, that's why they love the kind of more subversive stuff. And when you go out on book tours and to schools, they know their stuff. I mean, they literally have written five books and they, and the kids that love them know them better than I do. So they'll come up and say, Hey, in chapter two, like book three, you said that Toto's favorite cheese was camembert. But actually in, in book five, and you're going, Oh God, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and they've got you over the gunwheel and you're thinking, Oh man. Uh, completely. Yeah. That's so funny. I remember. I remember. I did two um, two young adult novels, and, and, and the only difference between that and, a, and an adult action adventure novel set in the Second World War was that there was less swearing but more violence. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> What Second World War kids fiction, I mean, did you go, go and look at some to think, where's it pitched? Because, I mean, the book I remember from when I was at school was The Machine Gunners, which is that story of... Oh, that's a brilliant Which is book, an amazing book, which is a... Do you know that book, Jim? No. What, where so have I been? So it's about a bomber that crashes in... It's in the northeast somewhere, I think. And a yeah, bomber, it's in Hull or somewhere. In Hull or somewhere. This bomber it? crashes, and these kids find the bomber, and they find a machine gun in the bomber. And then they also find a, they find a crewman who survived the crash and they hide him and look after him. Is he German? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, and they build a little fortress. And in the end, I think there's an incident with, um, some Polish soldiers and they don't know if they're Germans or what, or what, right? So, so it's a fantastic book. It's a, it's a book with ambivalence in it and it makes you think about, um, you know, who really are the good guys and you're looking from the kids point of view. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. I'm surprised you don't know it actually, Jim. They also did a great adaptation yeah. when, when, when we were kids, yeah. really, wasn't it? Our, yeah. And um, it, used to, it was on, you know, what was then, I suppose, CBBC, which is just on the BBC, which was just, you know, but it was on kind of four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Oh, it's a marvellous book. I kind of, I mean... I, I remember Dick Turpin being on at five o'clock on a... Central <laughs> Park. Richard O'Sullivan, <laughs> who's absolutely legendary. I just don't remember that one. I live, funny enough, I live next to, if I look out there, I live next, I live really around the corner from the Spaniards Inn pub where Dick Turpin famously either his dad was, I mean, like, it's one of the, it's like one of the, I mean, they say Dickens drank there as mm. well. It's like mm. one of those pubs, every pub you go into that's sort of like more and than Oliver 200, Reed. Yeah. 350 years old or something. They go, <laughs> yeah, no, Dickens wrote like, you know, like, expectations over there or something like <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> but it's a fascinating still a fascinating pub i did a little bit out if i'm honest yeah but i but i try not to when i write I try not to um read too much because a i it's it's you read really good stuff and then you yes it, a intimidates you and then you think yeah. oh, God, i don't want to copy it so yeah yeah, part yeah, is that. yeah yeah um but uh, but i for me it was i think i spoke to you about this before there was this kind of that really old non-PC cartoon called Warlord when yeah. I was a kid. And I was obsessed with Warlord. And for all its kind of, as non-PC as it was, I mean, it was, A, it was probably written in the 70s, yeah. so it wasn't that far after the war. But the stories were so vivid and the illustrations were so brilliant. Um, so there were all these kind of characters as kind of reoccurring characters as well. They had these great standalones, uh, but they had these great reoccurring characters. So one was codenamed Warlord, who was this kind of... Uh, uh, sort of a was he an OS like a, a sort of SOE agent or something like that? He was like a special ops kind of guy, which is kind of a, like kind of Bond style. And then there was a, a guy called Union Jack Jackson who was, um, yeah, and, and Union Jack Jackson was always kind of in uh, hanging around. Some somehow got kind of seconded to this Marine battalion in the east. 
uh, with these with these Americans. And there was, but there was also a really interesting because, yes, it was it used very antiquated language and it was it, like. You know, it wasn't, you know, of its time. But at the same time, it was quite progressive because some of the stories were uh, were German-based and some of them were um, the this kind of... I remember one story was about this Ethiopian soldier... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, so in many ways it was, it was, it was, and that kind of opened my eyes uh, to wartime fiction when I was a kid. And then I think my my dad just sort of like blithely picked one up and just saw this kind of war and death and all this like. And he, his eight year old was reading it and just went, "Jesus Christ, can't you just get the Beano?" So I think my my poor dad, who's the loveliest guy, and also is another is another huge history nut, my father. Um, but at the time, at the time I think, understandably and quite rightly, thought it was a bit too graphic for me. So <laughs> that's just, the subscription was kind of cancelled, and then it was Dennis the Menace and Nasha. Well, that, that's uh, that's good as well. It wasn't Battle of Britain. Where, where, where's Battle of Britain? Was he in Warlord? I don't know. But I mean, I've just, I've just. I don't think he might have been Commando. I think you got Union Jack Jackson, Codename Warlord, Killer Kane, Camp Killer Kane, Camp- Killer Kane was Camp- Killer Kane was um, was Battle of Squadron Britain. Squadron leader Killer Kane, Battle of Britain. That's right. Um, Camp Gripper Fal- Falcon. Yeah. Uh, Wolverine, Iron Annie, The Adventures of Kurt yes, Stallman and his yeah. JU-52. That was great. Because the, the, the JU-52 was brilliant because it was quite, it was kind of almost the most boring story because it was all just yeah. them, like taking supplies to the front and then something would happen to them and they'd have That's to right. like stick a couple of guns on it or like, you know, <laughs> but it was largely it's just about a supply plane. It was brilliant. That's so funny. Uh, yeah. But Dermot, I, um, uh, a friend of ours, Guy Walters, he's a, a historian and... His son is now all sort of grown up, and got long hair, and is a sort of grunge rocker. But 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 when he was five or six, he was just obsessed with with World War Two planes, and he just used to talk about planes and Spitfires and and so on all the time. And guy had it, you know, guy was was with Will walking down a street, and this bloke just stopped and said, "I'm sorry." Did your son just say Messerschmitt? <laughs> and he was like four at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was really Speaking funny. Speaking of which, I went. I was down in Goodwood. I did my first ever revival this year, and uh, which I loved. Never been. Was oh. it good? Oh my god, you'd love it. I know. I know. I'm always doing something else. But Doesn't the happen. planes were incredible. Like they, yeah. you know, they had these. I mean, and the, you've obviously you've got the sort of the classics, but then. Like there was a Catalina there, and uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and there's some, like there's a couple of like like old World War Two really kind of like um, there was a couple of like really small transport planes that would have ferried the generals around. I can't quite remember the names of them, but they were, they were re- like spotting planes almost. Osters and yeah, that's and exactly it. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, what's the fascinating thing? Speaking to the guys that own them and fly them, the Oster, for example, he just said, "I can't get my," you know, it's quite. a hard plane to fly it's quite difficult not particularly enjoyable plane to fly but i love it because it's you know i'm bringing history alive and uh yeah and he, he sort of he, and doesn't even go that fast like it you know no. sort of 60 70 but you, you know john remain don't you You've met john very well yeah, so, I love yeah, yeah. John. So, so john's got his he's got his his, his blenheim yeah, that's why i really want to go up in that blenheim oh my god it's it's because it looks it's such a sort of ugly dog on the ground yeah but when you see it flying it's unbelievably graceful for a, for a twin-engine aircraft. It really is smooth. It makes a lovely purr. There's a, I, I can't remember what the engines it's got in it, but it makes a really lovely purr. And it's it's much quicker than you think, much more um, – it, it's much more sort of manoeuvrable than you'd think. And it's, a, it's, it's really graceful. It's, it's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is absolutely gorgeous. How long yeah. have they had that flying, Jim? 
mm, three or four years, maybe. Right, right. Wow. So it's maybe a, a bit longer now. Do you, the, do you, I don't know if you guys know because it's obviously so many, um, so many planes were produced. Did it, is there a world where where someone puts together a Wellington or and, and gets it airborne, or is that just you, you is, could is do. Just it's, it's, it's cost. Well, the problem the problem is is when you've got uh, if you're doing a single plane. There's no precedent because all a lot of the blueprints and stuff just don't exist. So you've got to kind of work it all out, and you can you can gather various blueprints and stuff, but it's but it's really hard. And, and as you well know, Dermot, you know when you're putting one of these making one of these planes together, they're basically ninety percent brand new. So everything has to be made. So the reason why there's so many Spitfires, obviously, is because it's iconic and beautiful and all the rest of it. But now lots of them have done it. So there's the expertise, there's the knowledge. The, the jigs, yeah, there's so, all that well, kind of stuff to, to, yeah. to make it happen. They've got around the fact they're not standard in the way they're made because they were built in sort of giant workshops rather than on production lines. So every Spitfire essentially is, is different and they've figured out their way around that now by basically making them, you know, they can make them all different as well. That's the thing. So if you go, if you go to, if you go to Peter Monk's place in Biggin Hill, I mean, they are, they're doing the same thing. They're riveting, they're putting each rivet in individually drilling each hole individually rather than there's a jig. I mean, it's, it's the most amazing thing. So if you were st- if you were building a Wellington, you'd, you'd basically build, be reverse engineering one from scratch from what you think they must be like, from what's left of the blueprint. So the cost of that is absolutely enormous. And then you've got it. So it's interesting because there's this, um, this guy called Rob's Lampler, I know, and he's got, he's got an incredibly original Messerschmitt 109E, an ML, which is, uh, and, it's, and it served in the Spanish Civil War. So it is. It is the oldest flying Second World War fighter plane there is, and he doesn't think he, he's 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 getting close to finishing it, and and his plan is to then sell it, and he doesn't think anyone will ever fly it, even though it's airworthy, because it's so rare, it's so precious, and at some point someone's got to get in it and take that leap of faith, and and if you're buying it. You know, are you going to fly it or are you going to get a pilot to fly it? And if a pilot's going to fly it, well, why would you risk it? Because you're not going to get any fun out of it. Any two-seater 109s, like, like you know, like they have done in, like, you know. There's some Bouchons, yeah. There's some Bouchons about, yeah. They, have you been up? The, the Bouchons are the post-war Spanish-built under license, but with a Merlin engine. And there's just something that's fundamentally wrong about that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Even at old school, yeah. <laughs> but there's no, no, they haven't converted any originals for two seaters. No, no, no. The, no. The, I mean, there's the the Messerschmitts are that much rarer, aren't they? And um, mm, they're very, rare. they're very, very rare. And anyway, the sort of, the, I mean, it's mainly Spitfires, isn't it? Because Spitfires are the first plane they're anyone beautiful. thinks of. I know, of but it's just, I'm, but I'm with you. I mean, it'd be lovely to see a Wellington fly. It'd be lovely to see, a, you know, a Tempest and a, and a Typhoon fly. I mean, oh, there's yeah. a plan to get a Typhoon up in the air, but but you know, it, it's costing them so much money to. to to get it done. Will they get that Dornier up that they, they retrieved from the North Sea? Is that the... No. Well, they're not. Is that, no, are they just no, going to no, no. put that in a museum? Or? Yeah, that's at Cosford. It's amazing to see. It's absolutely, absolutely amazing Absolutely incredible, yeah. Mm, it that, is amazing. Sort of thing where they've got, you know, they, they, they had to bathe it to reverse the corrosion and all that sort of stuff, you know. In that's a, right, yeah. Leave the they parts did. in a tank for a year yeah. while it kind of like re-knotted itself. The metal re-sort of configures yeah. itself. It is an amazing thing, but they yeah they never get that airworthy. I think they're gonna they could I think they're gonna sort of do it a little like the Halifax at Hendon, where it's kind of half and half. Oh, okay, yeah, you can see what it was like. But if you if you could own one fighter plane, you know, <laughs> uh, um, for for one warbird, what would it be? I mean, is it is it a Spitfire? I mean, would you? Would you I don't think for- Spitfire counts because I think Spitfire everyone would own a Spitfire. 
So maybe can I have one as well as a Spitfire? Yeah, you're right. A second one. If you if you if you buy one, get okay, one free. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let's let's start. We, we, we all get a Spitfire. <laughs> That's your start. So, <laughs> so you, I'm you've got one of those guys you meet at Goodwood, and you go, you go, what, what do you own? He goes, oh, I got that one, and there's that one over yeah, there. Oh, yeah, oh god, yeah, those yeah. people. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so I'm one of those guys. I'd, I'd go for a Mosquito. Do you know what I would go for? That's very strong. I would go for a U.S. Navy Corsair. Ooh, I love. Once again, Warlord. It was yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think it was Kelly's Heroes or one of those They guys. are, they are pretty sexy, aren't they? Beautiful. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I think, and I love the, the Navy livery of the Second World War. The US Navy livery was so beautiful. That, well, that lovely, beautiful blue. Exactly oh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love those photos. You can still get the colour photographs that you can find. Yeah. Um, and the some which are unbelievably vivid. They look like they were taken yesterday, and they're, they're just they look perfect. I've got to say, I, I would definitely go for the the P fifty one Mustang. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, isn't it? I've got. I a just have I've it. Got... I just think it'd be great. A particular two seater. It looks like a one seater, so it doesn't look like it's been bastardized. But you yeah. can take someone up. It'd just be great. I've got. Yeah. A, I've got a Christmas question for you guys. I know. We're, go on, <laughs> what What would be your? Doesn't necessarily have to be your favourite, but what would be your one or top three? Christmas wartime films that you absolutely every year have to watch. Well, I mean, a bridge too far for me. Well, I suppose where he was there. Yeah. yeah. The thigh slapping. Yeah. 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 No, I, I yeah, I, no, I, I got that wrong. Yeah. Uh, where Eagles dare. I think it's. Where Eagles dare one. That's, where, yeah. where Eagles dare is almost like the set fire. Down. Colonel. Yeah, um. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's a Santa Claus story, isn't it? They get into the building, they leave some presents. Um, <laughs> they set the chimney alight. What? So what you're saying is Where Eagles Dare is really a Christmas fable. It is a Christmas fable. <laughs> Blow everything up. What I love about... about that, you know, about if you've Britain. been naughty, if you've been naughty, you get gunned down. If you've been nice, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you escape on the bus. <laughs> With the never-ending schmeisser. My, uh, my favourite thing about Where Eagles Dare is how many, you, you know you, you meet another Eagles Dare fan because how many lines have sort of permeated normal conversation in everyday life. So yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. the guy that sort of dresses me for like big entertainment shows, he's just become a mate, is a guy called Tom Stubbs. And we quite often, if one of us is passing the phone, like down, you've been together for like 15 years now, whatever, one of us passing a phone to the other one, we will go through the rigmarole of that old German general that gets woken up that has to vouch for, <laughs> <laughs> for Richard Burton. And we say, it was that, tell him he's a renegade. Tell him he's a renegade. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, Stubbsy yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know they had um, Clint Eastwood's um, German officers? Um, uh, Tunic uh, was up for for sale the other day. No way! Wow, mm. really? How, yeah. Did, and did how much did it go for? I don't know, but it was on for something like twenty eight thousand dollars or something. Jesus! Yeah, it was quite a lot of money. Still, quite a lot of money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'd wear that while flying your um, Corsair. You must yeah. have Corsair, exactly. wouldn't you? Okay, so yeah. we're eagles there. Are you, are you great escapers when it comes to Christmas, or is that more of a regular? No, no I'm, battle, I'm, I'm Battle of Britain, definitely. <gasps> you got Battle of Britain, the whole hole. Definitely Battle of Britain. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love the I love the, the sound of the skylarks over the thing where they're all sitting in their deck yeah. chairs. I love all the one-liners. I like anticipating the one-liners. Skipper hates Jerry's. I love all that. Yeah. Um, it's got Christopher Plummer in it. You know, it's got yeah. Robert Shaw in it. It's got all those guys that just were so brilliant in those films in the 60s and 70s. Mm. And it's got Michael Caine. Bridge Over the River Kwai. It's a beaut. Yeah, that's a bit of a, it's a, it's a, that, that's I mean, a that's hardy for, perennial. 
That's for in between Christmas and New Year when you're a bit, you're feeling a bit listless and you're wondering what the point well, of it is. You just want to sort of sit back a little bit. Sit back, sit back a little bit and feel, and also feel that you've maybe eaten too much whilst watching this film of, of people starving on the Burma yeah, Railway. Yeah. <laughs> and there are, you there know, are like, weird light moments in that film as well. That's there are. Sort of the whole kind of romance story halfway through sort yeah. of like kind of quite disarming, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but Dermot, have you got, I mean, Okay, so 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 Weregal's Day is right up there. Mm. I mean, Al and I have just had another look at the Cruel Sea. Oh, yes. and trust me, that film is absolutely amazing. And yeah. if you haven't seen it in the last ten years, it deserves another outing. Yeah, because you know a bit more about the Second World War than you did ten years ago, and exactly. you will appreciate it that much more. And everyone in it was basically in the war, mm-hmm. and and so they're sort of talking, not not from necessarily from Royal Naval experience, but they're talking from having served in the Second World War experience. Yeah. And everything in it is real. So it is a real a real Corvette. It's a real frigate that they, they're filming with. And it just smacks of authenticity. Yeah, Donald Sinder is marvellous in that film, isn't he? He's fantastic, isn't yeah. he? And also in a way that you think, is that real? You know. <laughs> That's Donald Sinder. Is that the same Donald Sindon? Exactly. Is, is it? It can't be. It, c- c- because, you know, if you if you know him from Never the Twain and <laughs> just a minute would have it, yeah. you know, like, hang on a minute, that can't possibly be the same guy. And Virginia yeah. McKenna. Yeah. 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 I found um, the last series of Das Boot I really enjoyed, you know, the third series. I mean, I know it was a... Like, yeah. You know, when, you, when you kind of... You know, you, look, drama devours plots, so... Yeah, and, and the SAS boys will find this if they're commissioning four series. By the time you get to the fourth... You just it, drama just eats it up, so you've got to come up yeah. with new stuff. And I actually thought the way they did the the kind of the grief of the of the of the captain in in, in the third series of Dust Boot, and and the fact that he had yeah. this kind of bloodlust and wanted to get out there, and it destroyed his relationship with his wife, played by Joe Hartley, a brilliant actress. It was, I thought it was really good. Yeah, oh, I thought it was terrific. I loved it, and it all. I haven't seen all, it. I haven't seen the latest. They're all suitably grimy and Christmas tree, you know, uh, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I thought oh, it's that- really good. Out and James, you'll yeah. love it because you know it, it, there's this. It's based sort of in in neutral Portugal, so there's a real kind of mm, there's a real nice. kind of, like lovely kind of Lacari espionage kind of style. Yeah. Oh, I like all that. Okay, I'm definitely watching it. Great, good tip. I, mm. I just it, do you know what? it just it gone off my out of my consciousness, but now it's being firmly put back in it. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Tune the 12 Days of Christmas. That's what I'll be watching. <laughs> well, um, thanks so much for coming on uh, to chat. It's just nice to catch up, boys. I could come on, just like literally just shoot the shit all day with you. But we'll get you back when the book's out. When yes, you're I'd love that. With, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll be, sort of, I'll be able to see you properly and and um, yeah. and, uh, and come down to one of your wonderful festivals as well. It'd be great. Well, Fantastic. we'd love to see you that. We'd yeah, love, love to see, see you that. that. Yeah. Yeah. September 23. Yes. Brilliant. I'd look forward to it. Uh, it's a pleasure. We've been talking to Dermot O'Leary. We'll see you all very soon. Bye-bye. Cheerio.